1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Before we get this episode started, by the way, it's awesome. I just wanted to give you guys a few things before we get rolling here. Uh, first off, uh, MotionDucks. MotionDucks.com. Put in the code MVM. You'll get a free anchor bag, and their shipping is always free. Motion Duck is a great sponsor of the show, and we really appreciate them. And uh, it's a mo- it, what Motion Ducks is, guys, is it is a I'd say a jerk rig slash spreader. And I'm telling you, it looks so realistic. It's the most realistic uh, jerk rig set- setup I've ever seen out there. Plus, it makes it quick and easy to move your decoys around. All right. Also, you Canuba, best dog food out there. Um, it's with we got chondroitin in it and they got glucosamine in it keeps your dog's joints good it's got the high uh, 30% protein 20% fats it's a great great dog food love it builds up great muscle tone and hair coat on your dog next up oldtowncanoe.com oldtowncanoe they've got kayaks they've got canoes they've got hybrids of both and i'm telling you guys they make a great product we have ours can't wait to use it this season duck season is saturday we're pumped. Cannot wait. So it's going to be awesome. Also, last but not least, HTR Innovations. Go to the website, htrinnovations.com. Put in the code MVM. You can get 10% off on their quack packs, you Get on, which is a layout, basically. You can also get it on all their other products that they have, gun stands, etc. So check them out. Before we get this show rolling today, I would like to ask you guys if you could give us a rating and review. If you listen on iTunes, please, it means a ton. And we're at 86 ratings right now. We got lots of reviews, but we're at 86 ratings. When we do, when we hit 100 ratings, we're gonna be doing a giveaway for the podcast specifically, the MVM show. So, if you can go in there, get it up to 100 ratings, whether it's five stars or whatever you guys want to give, and we're gonna be doing a giveaway. All right, guys, let's roll right into this. I think you're really gonna enjoy this one. It's about hunting back in the day and how it was in the 30s and 40s and how it is today from someone that has personal experience. Let's get into it. Hey guys, welcome back to the MVM show. I'm Titus, your host today with a, um, I don't even know how to put this in the words, I guess I would say kind of my my hero and um, in many different aspects. He's also been my pastor for many, many years and he's been a pastor over 60 years now, I believe, at the church and um, mentor as a being a minister and on the outdoors and hunting and fishing and um, spiritual life and all aspects of my life. I'm so 
glad for you to be here today, Brother Hilton. Good and, to be here, Titus. And I'm I'm really glad that I know we try to make this happen a few times, but yes. finally the the timing is right, and we're here today. So, guys, we want to just go over and talk today, and I just we're gonna do this multiple times, hopefully as many as we can, because he's got so many. His name's Johnny Hilton, and he's got so many stories that is unbelievable. How old are you? 86. 86. Okay. I'll be 87 in December. No, okay. I'm sorry. I'm 85, be 86 in December. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll give you. <laughs> so many, okay. many years, I can't count them. <laughs> yeah. So he's seen many things and uh, and he has, his memory is incredible. I wish mine was like that. So I'm going to let, he's going to do all the talking and I just kind of feed him. There's a blank spot and I don't, I don't know if there will be, but I wanted to start this off with going to your childhood and kind of what it was like being in the woods and hunting. I know you've talked a lot about the Indians in the area and your friends going to school. Kind of just talk, let's talk hunting and fishing and what it was like back then, like how much it's different now, you know? Well, I had my first deer tag, deer hunting license and deer tag at seven years old. It was a few weeks before I was, deer season was always September and October. And my birthday's in December. Well, in December, I would have been uh, seven years old, but I was six. And uh, no, I'm sorry. I misquoted you on that. I was six, would have been seven. Okay. And wow. so I, I really killed that deer just a few weeks before I was seven years old. Wow. But it was my first deer, and I had a deer tag and a hunting license then. So I tagged my own deer. I had my dad's help somewhat, but I had a 4440 Winchester rifle. And my dad was sitting beside me when the deer came down, was in a drive on my dad's place. Dad mom owned 300 acres of land up above Mariposa. And uh, the deer was crossing a creek. And my dad shot first, and I shot several times, too, with my forty-four. Now, who hit what, I'm not <laughs> sure. But dad let me shoot the deer and kill the deer. So that was my deer at uh, seven years old. Wow, wow. A three-point buck. I still have the horns. Do you really? Uh-huh. Okay. I Man, I don't know where to start. Like I said, we'll start with your childhood. I I mean, I guess we're kind of going to jump around probably a little bit, but you, how long did you do taxidermy? I mean, you, I forget about that a lot of times. Well, see, I was raised where there was no phones, no electricity, no nothing. It was about eight or nine miles to the first oiled road when I was a kid. <clears throat> it was all dirt roads. County roads are dirt, maintained every year with graders, but... uh I, I was kind of stuck by myself. I was a mile from the closest neighbors. That was my grandma and grandpa, my mom's folks. And so I was kind of a loner to do things. And so dad thought I might be getting a little bored with life because I was getting a little older, 12 years old. So he bought me a Northwestern School of Taxidermy, J.W. Elwood's taxidermy course yeah. <clears throat> by mail. And so I, I completed that taxidermy course by mail. And mounted a few things and sent back to them, birds, blue jays, basically. And uh, that's kind of where the taxidermy thing started. Then I mounted a few deer heads for neighbors right around there. Didn't get much. I think I mounted them for about $8 a piece back then. Of course, at that time. That was of, decent, though, back then, maybe? Well, it was. I, I made a dollar or two, I guess. I don't remember oh, what I yeah. made. Mm. But by the time I bought the forms and mm. the eyes and so on and the clay and things to model to fit the eyes. Mm -hmm. It didn't have much in it, but I was learning. And so I did that until I got a little older and began to venture out a little further into 
uh, perfection. Mm-hmm. And I got pretty good, I think, at mounted a lot of quail because quail was all around our place. I mounted dozens of quail. Mm-hmm. And a few ducks went duck hunting, mounted a few ducks, uh, mounted a few pheasants, and then mounted several deer heads, mounted a whole antelope one time, and a whole deer one time, built bodies myself, because mm. at that time there wasn't supply places to make those paper or styrofoam bodies. So mm. I built my own bodies. Out of the, I kept the bones out of the legs. Oh, wow. So I'd know how long they were. Yeah. And uh, I made paper mache, like was it paper mache bot like the body? Well, forms? I, u- I used paper mache. I mixed it with water and made it myself. Uh-huh. And put I, I did it with toe, Excelsior, or whatever you want to call it. That they package stuff in, uh-huh. and that's what I made the basic basic part of the body and seal finished it off with paper mache uh-huh. on the outside. Oh, okay, I got you. I don't think I even have a picture of those deer. I had them for, had a bear for a long time, gave it to the high school, and ended up somebody got it, stole it or something. Really? And the police department called me and told me there's a bear down there. Thought it was mine. I went and got it, but it was pretty well wasted. Mm-hmm. And I mounted a whole deer. I really don't know what happened to that deer body, but probably just went to pot. It was not that good because I was an amateur at it. But I, then they began to make bodies. You could buy bodies. You can buy mm-hmm. a body for anything. I got a whole moose in my house. I bought the whole body. They sent it out on a, a, a truck from back east where I bought it from to here. And I got that whole moose mounted in my house. My daughter got that. We need to do, I don't know what I'm thinking. I need to come over there and get video of that and put it on the YouTube channel. Okay. Of, of your whole, <laughs> your incredible trophy room that you got. Then I, <clears throat> I don't know. I've got f- several things in there that I did. I did my wife's deer head. She got Wyoming back when we were in our thirties. I did her antelope head. She got when she was 30, four or five and uh of course in later years i've went places like to africa and i mounted things had things mounted i got a whole mounted male african lion i got uh, and a female african lion i've got a whole mounted stone sheep i'm getting a whole mounted doll sheep done that i got doll sheep in, in alaska stone sheep in british columbia I did years and years ago, I shot a mediocre bighorn ram on the south fork of the Salmon River when I was 20, in my 20s, and uh, nothing- Here in to, California? No, in Idaho. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. And I've never st- shot a desert sheep, even though I put in for the tag. Got many points, but maybe I'm 86, so maybe if I get live to be 100, I might finally draw that someday. <laughs> How long have you been putting in for that? I don't, I don't know how many points I got, but I used to put in Nevada, and I put in for a number of years and didn't get it, so I got, it discouraged me, I guess, or, or just quit anyway. Mm-hmm. I should have kept it up, but I probably had it by now, because mm-hmm. I started putting in for that when I was in my 30s. So what, as, as a kid, what did you do? What was, what'd you, when school was out, or summertime, what did you do for fun? Well, well, I did things that you couldn't even do now. You get in trouble. Yeah, I used to take when deer season was on. I had to walk a mile and a quarter to get to school, and my mother was a teacher at that school. Okay, and so we walked together every but, day a mile and a quarter. Yeah, it, well, unless in the winter when you couldn't drive a two wheel car because the roads were muddy and f- snow and ruts, and so we'd yeah. have to walk or you'd get stuck in those old cars. So when it was that way, we'd walk in the summertime. We drove the car, 
But I'd take my gun and hide it under a log, my rifle, hide it under a log outside the school ground. And when the school was over, I'd get my rifle and hunt all the way home. When quail season's on, I'd take my shotgun, hide it under the And there was an Indian kid, Ernie Harlow. He's passed away now, but he's a little older than me. But uh, he'd take his gun do the same thing. And he and I'd hunt together till we had to part ways when he went to his where his house was, and I'd go to my house. We'd hunt on the way home. And then fishing season, there's trout streams right there through the through my dad's property. And uh, I'd take my fishing pole to school, and I'd I'd fish from one road to the other road. By that time, I'd probably have close to a limit of fish. And then I'd go home and clean those fish and put them in a, in a cooler in the ice box. And then when Dad came home on the weekend, we'd have a fish fry. I'd do the same thing with quail. When he came home, we'd have a quail fry. So and life was interesting to was, me. It was like a wilderness to you like literally it was to, to it wasn't to me because I, I was raised it was normal there. to you my mother was born on the homestead on west fall road in mariposa county and so she didn't know she never had electricity she was 28 years old wow and uh uh mom mom was a school teacher of the school and uh uh Dad was a construction worker. During the war years, he worked at sawmills, and he was a sawyer for a while on Edger, and he was also a cat skitter, dragging logs in, and he ran several positions at the sawmill, but uh, that was during the war years. After the war years over, he went to work as a plaster, and he, his dad was a plaster, plaster contractor, and dad went to Mare Island, worked there. He worked and he's gone on the weekend, uh, except on the weekends. So mom and I was running the ranch ourselves. I'd have cow or two to milk in the morning for school and cow or two to milk after school at evening. And uh, uh, dad would come home on the weekend and he and I'd help me. He'd help me do those things. Dad would do our deer hunting and our quail hunting and whatever. He To entertain me, fishing, whatever he did to make my life interesting as a kid. Right. right. Now, do you... Did, why was there was there just a big population of Indians in that area? Because I mean, what tribe was like? What were they? They were the, they were the Miwok Indians. The Miwok Indians. Uh -huh. Okay. Some Chickasaws, but most of them were Miwoks. Hmm. But they they were just like the rest of us. In fact, I did more with the Indian kids than I did with white kids because I liked horses and I rode horses all the time, and also hunted, and they hunted all the time. So I was with Indian kids a big part of my time. In fact, since I became a minister. And then we got old. I actually, I actually did most of those people. You want me to put? You want me to click that thing on silent for you? So you're what he's. I, I did. He want people want him very bad all the time. So I did most of those Indian kids I went to school with that have passed away. I did their funerals even, mm. and they're they loved my mother. And they they liked me. I was with them so much. And then I became a minister, and they knew that. So when they passed away, they'd want to minister at a funeral, and they knew me, so they'd call me, and I, I would do their I would do their funerals, and uh, I uh, had a royal life. Didn't know it. I thought it was normal, normal but it wasn't. Yeah. No kid now would have. What kid could kill a deer at seven years old? Put their own tag on it. No, they wouldn't allow you to do that anymore. Mm -mm. What kid could take his gun to school and hide it under a log and after school right. go deer hunting on home? What kid could do that? It's just something that can't even be done no more. It's just not, it's not happening because it's just not the way life works mm -hmm. now.
Mm-mm. We didn't have a telephone. The only telephones we had was neighbors around the community, and they hook up to the line themselves. Those crank phones. Oh. Mom's mom's phone call was two shorts, a pause, and two more shorts. My grandmother's was two longs, and everybody had their own little. And when you heard that ring, you knew who was who it was. They was calling, yeah. and uh, no connection with the outside world whatsoever. No electricity. No electronics. No nothing. <clears throat> so really, I had to create my own excitement. Yeah. But I, 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 I just thought it was a normal way of life. Mm-hmm. Now then, kids would be bored doing that, but I wasn't bored at all. In fact, I, I really had a royal life and didn't know it. Yeah. Would, do you, did you have a certain thing that you liked doing more than the other, or just everything was just as fun to you as hunting far as— Hunting and fi- everything yeah. was fun. You made everything fun. Mm-hmm. But hunting and fishing were my two choices. Mm-hmm. I never played baseball. I did at school. <clears throat> but to think about being a, a baseball star or— football star i didn't i was mm-hmm. too engrossed in hunting and fishing mm-hmm. and did you who would you say like taught you everything was it more learned by yourself or was your dad my dad he was the one that taught you just yes tracks and types of animals everything. and everything there was nothing made a track i didn't know what it was <clears throat> no bird or animal made a noise that i didn't know what it was i was just lived with him i was right there from the time i was big enough to know what mm. things were sounds were and kind of fun to have had all that uh, in my background. Right. Because to, still to this day, <clears throat> some people don't know a lion track from a, bear, from a dog track but or coon track or any other kind of track. They just don't know. But I knew all those things because I was raised. I was part of the environment at mm. that time. Yeah. Now, did you always go everywhere by foot or did you get a horse later on when you got a little older? Or? By the time I was 12 years old, I had a horse and saddle. <clears throat> <clears throat> that gate I trapped too in the wintertime. Oh. And with a horse and saddle, <clears throat> I could get further away from the house than I could on foot. Yeah. So that gave me a. It <clears throat> extended your range Bef- quite a bit. Before I was old enough to drive, it extended my range, mm-hmm. yes. Now, did you. You heard about how they totally outlawed trapping now in California. Yes. Yeah. Um, what was your. Like, what do you trap in there? What's kind of some of the things that you've seen uh, as you were trapping as a kid? <clears throat> I trapped coyotes. I trapped bobcats, I trapped ringtail cats, I trapped fox, I trapped schoon, coons and skunks. We don't even have ringtail cats. Oh, yeah, they're we there. Are uh-huh. they still? Uh-huh. Now, what did you, like, and you were doing it for a purpose, though, it wasn't just... I was selling the hides. Mm-hmm. That's how I bought my horse, Now I paid what Dad didn't pay of my first gun. Oh, you did? Yes, my well, my forty-four forty. I paid. That was uh, old Sheriff Warfield, Merced County, around the turn of the century. Uh, had a, a ten-gauge lever-action sawed-off Winchester shotgun, and he had a forty-four forty carbine. Those were his saddle guns when he went out of the posse, horseback, of course. <clears throat> and his widow lived <clears throat> quite a while after he passed away. And grand, my grandfather did his patch jobs at her house, plaster patch. And those guns were laid in the corner. And he asked her, Miss Warfield, he said, what are you going to do with those guns? She said, I don't know. They were my husband's posse guns. And he said, what would you take for them? She said, what would you give me for them? He said, I'll give you a day's work for them. So she sold him those two guns for a day's work for each gun. Wow. Well, he had that old forty-four forty, and he sold that to me for $6. Then my next gun after that was a twenty-five thirty-five carbine. No, twenty-five thirty in a long barrel, octic and barrel, double set trigger, rifle. Hmm. That's what I killed my first deer with when I was twelve years old by myself. And you were out hunting all alone. There was all nobody alone. out there. Wow. 
Yeah. And uh, did you, what, could you shoot does back then too? Shoot what? Could you shoot does back then too? Or did no, they still no, have bucks just, only? Just bucks. Bucks only. What was the size? Um, fork and horn better. It's fork and horn better. So they've kept that pretty much the same. Uh-huh. But like was, were you on other people, were you mainly on BLM land or did you just do everything on your guys' property? You had 300 acres. <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> there's probably three or four ranches around our ranch about the size of ours. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I, everybody knew me, and I knew everybody. Mm-hmm. They would actually get almost upset at me if I asked about the gun on their place. Mm. One guy told his old ex-highway patrolman, Jim Gard was his name. He's a motorcycle cop from Merced back in the 20s and 30s. And uh, I asked him one time if I could trap on his place. He said no. And then I knew he didn't mean it that way. And he said, Johnny, if you ever ask me again, I won't let you. I said, you don't ask me. He said, just go. Wow. And that was the way I had with everybody up there. So I, there was no way I could get in trouble because I, I was welcome everywhere. Mm-hmm. No kid has that privilege anymore. Oh, no. You can't even do that if right now. Like, we've knocked on so many doors to ask permission or whatever, and, I mean, you'll never get, But it's because people have ruined it over time, you know, yes. disrespectful, leaving litter, leaving this and that. But Well, and, and liability, too. Yeah. There was no liability thing. back then. If yeah. I broke my leg, it was my problem, not yeah. theirs. But now then, it's theirs. Yeah. And people take advantage of that now, too. Yes. They put it on them. So, yeah, what we uh, I remember hearing as a kid growing up in church, hearing you talk about shooting, how you were not that you were bragging on yourself, but you were talking about you shot so much that you what were you guys doing? You said you would, I don't know if that was with the 22 where you would throw like 22, it was a 22, and you would throw what were you throwing up in the air? And a Marlin 22 with a half buckhorn sight and a real small bead made out of a penny on the front side so you could see something little <clears throat> and. Dad would bring a brick, which a brick is 500 rounds of 22 shorts. Uh-huh. About every, every time he'd come home, he'd bring that. <clears throat> well, he and I'd go out in the yard, and we'd throw things up and shoot it like like pet milk cans. And I got to where I could shoot a pet milk can one time going up when it got up to top and stop one time when it come down and stop. I hit it three times before it hit the ground. Uh-huh. And <clears throat> then that not, got to be not much of a challenge. Of course, young eyes, you can see mm-hmm. perfect. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I got to throwing like flashlight, old flashlight batteries up, and that become an easy target. So then we got to throw marbles up. <clears throat> Dad was about as good as I was, and he'd throw marbles up for me, and I'd throw marbles up for him. We could break three out of five, almost out of the air. The trick of it is <clears throat> shooting a marble; it's awful little, and everything goes up has to stop before it can come back down. And if you get the rhythm right. When that marble stops, you shoot it right out of the air like you're shooting a still target. And it takes a little practice, a little coordination with learning to be able to catch that very moment. But when that marble stops, you can shoot them. So so would you just follow it up and then it hit that peak and boom? No. I just, or did you wait till it hit the peak and then? He hit, he'd throw it up. I'd throw the gun up and catch it at that peak. Mm. I, I probably couldn't even see the marble now. It was just all reflex almost. But my eyes aren't the way they were. Well, yeah. You mean back then, though? It just, you back just... then, I didn't need a glasses or anything. I just had yeah. perfect eyes. Mm-hmm. And I could catch that, I, the reflex. I'd catch that marble and stop, just raise them, bang. And I'd hit three out of five. Dad That's could pretty, do about the same. That's pretty good. <laughs> I don't think I could do that. We shot thousands and thousands of twenty-two shells like that. I bet. 
fact, the Butler Indian kid's up with me one day. He didn't believe I could do that, I don't think. So I brought him up and had him throw some things up, and I shot him. And uh, he went back home. He said, there's 22 shells all over the ground up there. Well, Dad and I shot right out in our front yard. There's no lawns in. It was just dirt and dust and pine needles. And uh, he saw those 22 shells. He knew then how much we shot. Mm-hmm. Then when did you, so as progressing, getting older and going through your child and stuff, and then you just graduated high school, what you what you do after that, after getting out of high school? Well, I went to plastering, for one thing. When a kid gets old, he wants a little money. Uh-huh. And Dad couldn't give me money like uh, like he was a rich guy. Uh-huh. He'd give me money once in a while to buy things I needed at school, but I wanted like a car. And so in my junior year, I moved from Mariposa to Merced with my grandfolks. And so I could work on Saturdays and on holidays and if I catch my work ahead, the principal let me off for a week, sometimes at a time. And I made enough money to buy a car. My first car is a 39, sold in uh, 39, but it was a 40 Pontiac Club Coupe. And uh, I bought that for $350. And that was in about 19, uh, oh boy, 52, 51, I guess, is a th- 39, no, 1940-something, I guess. It was about a 10-year-old car when I bought it anyway, mm-hmm. and that was my first car. Mm-hmm. paid $325 for it. Mm-hmm. Now, you were telling us just a minute ago, me and Sarah, I'm just curious, this area that we live in, I don't never really get too specific just from all the people that listen, you know, where exactly we're at, but they know the general area that we're in the Central Valley of California. But I'm, like, wondering... If we could go back, you know, 60 years or 70 years back and see what this whole area looked like and the Merced River and just like you were telling us about the sawmill and like, did you hunt as a young person all down the Merced and fish down the Merced River and all that stuff? Not till I could get a car or somebody took me because that was too far, too far for me to walk or a horse to go even. Mm -hmm. And been all day down there and all day back when I had no time to fish. But uh, once I got a car, then I did some fishing on Merced River, San Joaquin River, any place I could get a car to. And that was after I was 16 years old. I got a car at 16. Was it incredible as far as the game and the fishing and all that back then? Just Altogether different. When I moved to Merced, it's populated 16,000. What is it, 80-some thousand now? Mm -hmm. Mariposa had very few people in it. It was a very sparsely settled area. Hundreds and hundreds of acres of just land that... People owned maybe 400 acres and had one house on it. But now then, where I was raised, my grandmother's place and my dad's place, mom dad's place, and my mom's oldest brother's place, (coughs) which was uh, around 1,000 acres altogether. Mm -hmm. There was actually two big houses and two little houses, kind of cabin houses on that. Now there's probably 50 houses on that same acreage of land. Mm. So it's altogether different. Wow. Now, what would you what would you see as far as game like going down the down the Merced River? Because um, didn't we 
didn't there? I know this is probably maybe before your time, but didn't there used to be elk in this valley and all? I mean, in the just, valley, but that was before my time. The tule elk. Yeah. The only tule elk there are now are on, on places. On the Except, refuges. Yeah. yeah, pretty pretty much. Because hmm. I've always just wondered, like, I've heard so many things about, uh, you know, just how it was here years and years ago. But like you said, it probably was before yours. Did you ever do ever do much waterfowl hunting? That well, kind of? Yeah, a lot. Did you? Uh-huh. Where, where was that at? Uh, there was a man that was a part owner in a sporting goods store. Was Lou Pablier was his name. He's been gone for many years. And he was a part owner in that store. And he was kin to the Favier's that had a lot of rant, land out on the San Joaquin River. Mm-hmm. And they had a club out there. You go out the Gustine Highway and they turn off to the left and go back to their ranch. <clears throat> and I, I did a lot of, put a lot of birds and things and fish in that, uh, uh, Publier's sporting goods store. And he had taken me with me out there to his hunting club. And we sh- shot a lot of ducks out there. Widgeons, mainly widgeons on his club. Hmm. But a few other kind, pintails, gadwalls. Uh, uh, I don't think ever killed a, a wood duck or a, or a buffalo head or anything like that out there. Mainly widgeons, pintails, once in a while, maybe very seldom a mallard. Oh, really? Not a lot of mallards. Huh? Uh-uh. I wonder was, why there were so many widgeon out there. I don't know. Because, I mean, we have widgeon. We kill widgeon stuff, but like to say that it was the majority is definitely not. That was the majority out there. I wonder if it was just a feed or something. Probably. And then the setting. I think things change over time. Yeah, true. They call it succession and everything, birds and mm-hmm. everything else. And probably back then there was a, more widgeon than there were anything else. They were probably During that time, dominant bird. Yeah. So you said it was like in the gusting area. Yes, toward uh, toward gusting. Was it just full, just birds everywhere, just thick? Oh, a lot of birds. Really. In fact, I'd been so used to shooting quail that uh, it was the, easy to shoot ducks. Well, until when I found out what to, what to do, if I missed the first five or six, and I knew my shot was accurate, and I couldn't figure out why. So I got to thinking, maybe I'm not leading them enough. I was leading about right in, a little past the end of their nose. Yep. And then I led them two feet, still didn't do no good, three feet. Still didn't. Finally, I got about six feet, and I got hitting ducks. <laughs> when I found out they're, what I they're had to fast. do, then I got almost every duck I shot at. That's funny. Yeah, because if you're, you're being a shot like you were, yeah, you just needed to know what the lead was. Yeah. And that people don't – so. We use this dill on our guns. You, you can see it on that shotgun. You see that little dill on the shotgun right there, that little yeah. round tube? Yeah. It's called a shot cam. And, uh, on the end of it. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty neat because you can watch it when you hit the bird and where you're hitting the bird. It's all in super slow motion. But my main thing is is to see the lead. And if I was ahead or behind of it, it's kind of a neat little tool, whatever. But people don't believe it because I put it on our videos when we shoot a duck. And there's like, there's no way you had to lead the bird that far. Cause even like, say, 25 yards, you know, they're going so fast. You got to put it a foot and a half or two or three, like you said, sometimes yeah. six. It seems like six. Some of them fly 80 miles an hour. Yes. We, we, uh, the, um, not the hooded merganser, the, um, oh, what's the other merganser? Common merganser? Yes. No. No, the red breasted merganser. Okay. The red breasted merganser was clocked at 100 miles an hour, but it wasn't a dive at really high. But they've also, airplanes up at altitude have been right behind some of those birds, and they're going 100 miles an hour. Yeah. So I was just reading a deal the other day that I, um, I believe it was a snow goose. 
was coming from Canada, you know, migrating down during, and they were clocking her. Her average speed was 93 miles an hour. So she's up there in that zone and just cruising. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. But anyways, um, yeah, it's hard for people to believe it. So I'm, it's funny that you confirm that it, it, you got to put the lead on those birds. That was my problem when I first started hunting them. I'd never hunted ducks before in my life until uh-huh. I went out in their club. And they're all flying, uh, usually flying over. Maybe going to land, but they have. Yeah, sometimes. And a few teals, too. Uh, green-winged teal mm-hmm. flies about 80 mile an hour, I think, in a normal speed. And uh, uh, widgeons don't fly much slower than that. Yeah. No, they're they're moving. They're moving fast. Yeah. I've drove down the road many a times, and I'm going 65, and they're staying right with me. Does are the same way. They fly about 60 miles yeah, an hour. They're fast, too. So, so quail, it's not necessarily that they're fast. It's just that they're, they're so, when they come out of that covey, yeah. it's just confusing, right. basically. They're just taking off. A lot of the quail you shoot are going straight from you anyway. Yeah. Then some of them going crossways. I always just aimed at the at the bill of a quail. Always all. So I was going to ask you. That far away. What kind of shotgun and what kind of rounds did you, well, I mean, first, ammo did you first use? first shotgun I ever had is a 410. Okay. But I graduated from that right quick. And then I got a. From a fellow that I knew, I bought a Ward's Western Field pump 12-gauge shotgun. Yeah. And uh, it was a good gun, but it didn't have the right drop for me. A little later in life, You Dad say Ward's. You're not talking about Montgomery Ward's. Yes. Oh, you are. Ward's Western Field shotgun. Oh, okay. Pump shotgun. I killed a lot of quail with that. But I could never get a triple because you have to put the gun to your shoulder and duck your head to get the sight right. <clears throat> and uh, when Dad bought a... A 12-gauge Browning automatic, and the drop was exactly right on that gun for me. I got a lot of triples after that. When quail take off, I'd get three before they get away from me. Wow. Because I didn't have to duck my head to aim. It was just yep. right there. That's what, that's a Browning A5. Uh-huh. So it's got that hump back. That's why I really, because as soon as you throw it up to your shoulder, it's you're already looking down the sight. My head, the Browning I had, had it, was had a bigger hump back than that. Really? Uh-huh. Wow. Do you know which one, what, what model did you say that was? The Browning. Dad bought that when I was 18 years old. I was born 33. So 51 when he bought that. Was it a gas? Would it be a gas? It wouldn't be a gas shotgun, would it? A gas driven? I don't know. Just a regular Browning shotgun. It huh. wasn't the gold trigger was a lightweight. It wasn't the lightweight. It was a is a hmm. little heavyweight shotgun. What size shot did you like using with that? 6 and 7 and a half. 6 and 7. I never shot anything bigger than that for anything. Geese, what about for ducks? Nothing different. But you were losing lead, though, huh? Huh? But you're using yeah, lead. Yeah. Could you tell, did you ever go shoot birds going from lead to steel? Never have. Never oh, so you don't even shoot, know. Never shot a steel shot in my life. Wow. But you've heard people talk about oh, the yeah. difference. and Yeah. When was that they changed that? Like early 90s or something? Or was it before that? No, no. They changed that just a few years ago. Oh, okay. That really, for for anything, lead's only been outlawed for one year. <clears throat> well, but right. Now the ducks. It's been outlawed for probably 10 years. I heard it was 93, but I, I could be wrong. Some people were telling me 93. I think it was later than that. You think so? Maybe in some areas it was led earlier, but gradually they now it's all over California, all over. Well, I meant, well, because since it being a duck being a water, uh, federal bird, they I heard they outlawed the the um, lead, all waterfowl. And yeah, but other than you're talking about like you know, um, upland and all that stuff. Yeah, that's not been very long at all. Mm-hmm. That was last year, I think. I haven't had ducks for a long time. I haven't hunted ducks for... I haven't shot a duck for probably 
25 years. That's still not. Let me see here. So 25, we're 19. Where are we sitting there? 80. Uh, I can't do math in my head right now. No, it'd be like 95 or something. 90. Yeah. So 94, 95. So you did hunt some up till then, huh? Yeah. What I hunted later, this loop of blear passed away. <clears throat> and I don't know what happened to the duck club. I think it even maybe disbanded. It was in their field, and it was real shallow because they put water in there for ducks. When it wasn't seasoned, it was a dry piece of ground. <clears throat> and uh, my brother-in-law worked on farms over in Dos Palace area, and we used to go over there and crawl up for, in fields for a long way. We'd stick grass down our pants that come over head Johnson grass, <laughs> and we'd crawl out and get close enough to geese to shoot them. Jump shoot them. They think it was just a clump of grass coming their way. <laughs> and then ducks was on the canals over there. That's that's the last duck hunting I did was that way. Wow. This is totally di- just so different. Just everything's yeah. so different. I, I always say I think I feel like I lived in the wrong era of time. I would have just had a heyday with that kind of. Well, you know, I thought the day I lived in, as I've always said before, it was just normal. But it wasn't. I mm-hmm. was privileged and didn't know it. Mm-hmm. I just thought everything was that way, but it wasn't. So what was a normal day like from you from the time you woke up in the morning? Let's say it's summertime, you're out of school, you can do whatever you want. What what was from beginning, from the time you woke up to the time you went to bed, what would that day look like? Well, if I was going hunting, I probably woke up before daylight. And I probably didn't go to bed till well after dark. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I utilized the day. I mean, I was... I had all the energy in the world. I had more energy than the guy needed, really. <laughs> just get out there and just go. I'd ride my horse. When I'd go fishing, sometimes I'd go before daylight, head out on my horse, and get back before dark. I mean, well, after dark. What Was it mainly trout you were fishing? Yes, altogether okay. trout. And what what was the main tra- type of trout you were catching? Rainbow and German brown. Rainbow both. and German brown. Uh-huh. And the German browns are kind of harder to get now. Days it seems like I don't think they stock them like they used to. Uh, they used to were stock they stocking them then when you were, are in, they just natural? The small, well, they're natural in the big rivers. Well, German browns were brought over from overseas, so they're not natural. They they was import. Mm. But rainbow's been there f- centuries. In fact, back in the early days, before there was any automation at all, <clears throat> soldiers were over in the Elpertel area, and where the Merced River starts up. Yeah. And they would send those soldiers, soldiers' trails all the way up that Merced River. And they, when soldiers didn't have anything to do, they'd tell them to go up and take trout out of the river and put little streams that trout weren't in. So there's tr- rainbow trout and all those little streams up there, hmm. even up way up where crap trout couldn't get to. You're talking about military army guys? Army guys. Why, yeah. were they, why were they having them do that? Well, they didn't have anything else to do. And they just, and the upper command would tell them to yeah, do that? Yeah, yeah. Really? They'd take trout out of the river and take up those trees above the falls for the Not trout to turn go up. And they'd put the, the trout in those streams. And there are streams today that the trout you catch, if you go above the falls, the trout was put there by a soldier. It wouldn't be there. Wow. Back before, in the 1800s. I did not know that. It's just funny that they, well, you say, so who brought them over for Germany, the German Browns? I don't know. I don't know who did that. That had to have been a long time ago. Oh, yeah, a long time ago. Brought over on boats. Had to be because there wasn't no such thing as airplanes in. And see, I never still understood why any country does that. Like my boss is, um, I think he's 76, and he's from New Zealand. 
and he said that um, they he goes he he you know of course he loves his country, but he was uh, saying that um, every there was nothing over there that could bite you, sting you, or hurt you. But then what people start doing is they start bringing things over there, and I'm like, why do they do that? Why do people want to bring other animals, other creatures to other places? I just don't understand that. They always did. Always did that. So you can't do that now. Mm-mm. But back of the earth, that's why we got exotic animals in Texas. Mm-hmm. Is because when the war was World War II was over, some of those military guys like Rickenbacker and those people, mm-hmm. they brought exact exotic animals and they practically get land for nothing in Texas. They'd fence in maybe fifteen, twenty thousand acres and they'd put exotic animals in it. That's why they got so many exotic animals in Texas. They're brought over years ago. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, they uh what was it? There was some. Sh- what's that? They shoot there a lot in New Zealand. They're way up on the high in the mountain. They're they're got that long. Well, there's a coats. tar. The tar. tar. That was that was not from there. I don't think was it. I don't think the tar were from there. From New Zealand. Yeah, originally. I think that's where they came from. They are. They there was some chamois tar. They call them. Or no, what, I'm sorry, it wasn't that because I just seen a video of a guy shooting the tar. Yeah, those are those are. That's a pretty tough deal to get uh-huh. one of those. But um, what it was is. They were shooting them from the helicopters with the nets. Do you remember what that was? It was some type of deer or something, and they're oh, they're literally overrun with them. Oh no! And they were making millions of dollars, like shooting nets at them and catching them and killing them and selling them and getting them off the island. And today, I asked him. He said they're still overrun. In fact, one of the helicopter pilots that did that, I can't remember what he was saying. They they were it was some astronomical number. I want to say it was like. They were doing upwards of several hundred of the, those a day, but one pilot and one shooter were getting that many because they'd shoot them, they'd come down, scoop it, put it in the net, hook it to the helicopter, fly to a drop zone, and they just do that all day. They're making thousands of dollars, he said. They'd shoot them with uh, tranquilize them, in other words. Yeah, but then they would actually kill them uh-huh. and sell them. I don't know who they were selling them to. but What animal was that? I, that's what I was going to drive me nuts. You can go find it on... Um, YouTube and everything. He, this guy, even wrote a book. I met him in person. Um, I'm gonna have to find that out while we're talking about something else. Hot. You, that'd be interesting for you to hear. Um, it's some type of deer. You never heard of that? Well, there's a stag over there on. A stag? Is it? Maybe that's what it was. Hold on, I'm gonna find it right now. I'll tell you. Because it's very well, you can pull them up on YouTube, all these videos and stuff like that. It's a pretty intense deal because, you know, their mountains are super um, steep. Yeah, they are. I'll tell you right now. Oh, it's right here. Yeah, New Zealand deer lift. But it's not saying on here what, I can't remember the name of that type of deer. Oh, the red deer. They go hunt them a lot. The red deer. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. And they they were so overabundant, they were using the helicopters. And basically, the helicopters couldn't land, so it says they were using a dart gun to tranquilize them and then attach a tiny radio to track them, but they were also using them to, um, basically, for meat. Mm-hmm. But I guess they're still like that pretty bad, but anyways, they're, sorry. They're similar to an elk, only their horns are way, they branch all directions almost. I mean, a lot of points. Yeah. They're pretty neat. Yeah. Kind of look like a I'd like go there reindeer or something. Yeah. I- I would love to go there just for how beautiful it is there. I know. And the videos I've seen, they, they've done a lot of, of films of there too. But some of the YouTube guys I watch that hunt them, they go up there and he says the hardest thing he ever did in his life, climbing up there to shoot one of those tars. Mm-hmm. 
He said it was, and it did it. You could tell it was like, oh man, that was because I know Johnny. You know, I'm Barney or guiding, and I know there's some places up there in Wyoming and Alaska that's pretty treacherous. I man, I don't. I want to. Well, let's ju- let's jump into maybe. It's been 40 minutes, but let's jump into like your um like a some Alaska stuff. Some your experiences in Alaska. Well, I've been to Alaska probably 12 times, 10, 12 times. And uh, some of them were just trips. Uh, several of them are hunting trips. I've killed two tall sheep in Alaska in the Chugach Range out of Palmer, Alaska, up by the Matanuska Glacier. And then I shot a, I shot a, a mediocre ram the first time. Uh, a, friend, a close friend of mine passed away while I was up there, and I told him I had to get out. And so the guy told me I could come back and finish my hunt later, and I did, and that's how I got a mediocre ram. Then the next time I, I, I went, I drew a tag in the Chugach Range where there were some larger rams, and I did get a, a record book, not an all-time record book, but a one a recognized ram, 40-inch doll sheep Oh, really? in the Chugach Range up out of Palmer, Alaska. And uh, uh, that was in, I was 80 years old. We walked two days into there. And then next day up into the rugged country and the ram was in that rugged stuff. But he fortunately for me, he came down where it wasn't that hard to get to. And so I shot him at 400 yards away and he's up in some rough stuff, but I wasn't. I was down where it was fairly easy to walk. And we had didn't go up to get him after I shot him. If he'd have been up some real rough stuff, it'd been a lot more complicated than what it was for me. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was that was uh, I'm eighty five, so that was four five years ago this fall, I guess, when I went up there. I remember that, mm-hmm. Rooney. I seen those pictures. We we kind of have some funny story for those of you guys that are listening today. Um, we kind of. He could tell you more detail because he was, I was just a little kid, but we were talking about Colorado, how my dad, he, he says he never gets lost, which I don't think he was, was he lost? That, Your dad? No, he, he just couldn't he, get out. Yeah. It, it got just, dark on him. Yeah. And it was, he didn't have a light or something? Or yeah, was it just too rough? It was just too rough but though. It, it, what he just, he's afraid to get himself oh, fall over a bluff or something. Yeah. It was the book cliffs below Rifle, Colorado. And we hunted there, my son and I and him. And uh, my son and I killed two deer and got out of there before dark and went back and got them the next day. We cleaned them out and left them there. And your dad got his and he fiddled around till it got dark on him. And uh, we could look up there and see him, even the guy that let us go across his place, which is across the river from that several miles away. And your dad was up there. We was down there in the cart hollering at him. And he said, go home. And we saw him build a fire. So we knew he wasn't coming down. How far it, away was he that you could actually hear him yelling down to you? Oh, probably half a mile. Really? Maybe you a could little hear over. Him. It just echoed. You, you couldn't hear what he said. I just knew he said, go home. Or Lee, I'll, I'll see. It. No, he said, I'll see it tomorrow. And I heard the tomorrow thing. And I saw him build a fire. So I knew he was fixing to do stay all night. Yeah. So we went back. The guy, William Allen, was the guy, William Allen, mm-hmm. that let us go over there. So I went over his house. And you could see his fire from that guy's house. <laughs> I said, do you think we should go get stuff and go up there and get him lights? 
And he said, no, nah. I said, it's not going to get cold tonight. It's rather warm night. And he said, he'll be all right. He's he's a tough man. He'll make it. So we went, you, you was with us. Uh-huh. We went, got a motel room. Way before daylight, we got up next morning, went, got breakfast, and got him something to eat. We drove back over there, and uh, it was getting about breaking day. And David and I and your, you walked up to your dad. Oh, we went we went all the way up there to where yeah, the deer up, was. Up to yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. And uh, he uh, he said he couldn't see to get down, so he knew it was dangerous because he went up there. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to come back down in the dark in that same yeah, place he went up. Yeah. So he figured it was safer to stay all night and come back down the next day. <laughs> was it just us four that went on that trip? Yeah. Because we went a few times. I remember Johnny was there, Barney. They weren't this time. Okay, not this time. Just me and you, your dad, and David. See, you, you verify that I went hunting since I was like five or six years old. You were six, I think. Yeah, people were like, eh, you really been out there? Yeah, I, I, I don't remember much of it. But I do got the prick pictures to prove it and yeah. the stories. Well, I've got pictures of your dad and his deer and yeah, all the deer we got. That was fun. That was how many years in a row did you guys go there? Probably three, three, maybe four. Just because it was good four. hunting, you guys just kept going back. Or? It was extremely rough. In fact, <clears throat> if you weren't careful, you get yourself hurt in a place like that. But we we're careful enough not let that happen, and so no people there. I saw one or two guys up there before us that were there when the years we went other than that there's no guys so we had a haven to ourselves up there if you wanted to go in there and get them out mm. it's a big job to get them out do you think it's any good up there still oh yeah i well if you could if you can get across land to get there it's private oh. land down the bottom and uh, this guy let us do his place to go up i there. remember that somehow i don't know why how but i remember Remember those odd dads that were up there? Remember seeing those? I, it's like I kind of like faintly feel like I do, but I in fact, I saw them. Could have shot them easy, and but I didn't know if you're supposed to or not. And I told, asked the landowner. He said, "I don't think you better." So I saw a game warden one day uptown. I went to the, somewhere uptown. There, I saw a game warden. I said, "Those odd dad sheep over there. What are you gonna do with those?" He said, "Kill them. Get rid of them." He said, "If you're really? saying shoot them." Oh man! And so I, I was, I was, it was the day I was leaving. I think. And so the next year I went back, but they had already shot a bunch out of helicopters. The really? Fish and Wildlife had. They didn't want them getting in their own native sheep territory. And so the next year I went back, there was a few still left. And one day my grandson and I went up there where we went up and parked. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was they were going up the mountain and there was one ram, and two rams, but one big one, one little one. And so I waited till they got out of sight. And so I, he and I got out and slipped up on top. And they were about three, 400 yards away feeding on the top. And I shot that biggest ram, hmm. and uh, uh, but they've had about all gone already. Hmm. They're probably long gone now, right? Oh yeah, there's none there at all. They just eradicated them. Yeah, I wonder how they got there. A, a fellow that had them raise them exotically somewhere in that vicinity. Uh, something happened in his fence that he had them in got tore down, and they got out, and they multiply quick. Mm-hmm. They 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 adapt to habitat real well and they're very hardy animals they're way more hardy than our n- native bighorn mm-hmm. sheep mm-hmm. and so yeah they must oh okay bigger than more than the bighorn sheep huh they're, they're more hardy they, wow. disease don't bother them like it does the big oh bighorn sheep if they get around domestic sheep they get a, a lung disease and die wow just from being around drinking really? out of the same water hole so that's why they try to keep the bighorn sheep away from any livestock or anything. Huh. 
Do you have any um, plant hunting plans in the future? Yeah, if I draw the tags. <laughs> Where is that? Well, I've for years I've applied for the Desert Bighorn in mm-hmm. California. I never drew one. For several years I tried in Nevada, never drew it there, so I kind of gave up and came back to California, mm-hmm. applied here. I've applied for Rocky Mountain Bighorn, Wyoming. I don't know how many points I got, but I've never drew that tag. Uh Hopefully I can one of these days. Hopefully mm-hmm. I'm still healthy enough. I don't know, 86, you know you're living on borrowed time. But you still get around just as good as anybody else, it I seems like. I get around pretty good. Yeah. I, mean, I can't keep with, I'm nothing like I was when I was in my 20s and my 30s, mm-hmm, right. but I can take my time and do it. Yeah, yeah. Because you're still, I mean, you're still going, you guys, you and uh, little Johnny went and Barney went deer hunting just not that long ago, last weekend. Yeah, up in our country here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I've hunted several times up in our country. Yeah. Here. Well, I mean, your whole yeah, your whole life. I mean, you go pretty much every year. Don't you pretty much hunt somewhere? Yeah, I don't think I've missed a year. Well, <clears throat> you talked about me being a minister. I traveled for a year or two. And one of those years, I didn't even buy a hunting license or tag that year because I wasn't even home. So that one year I missed. Other outside of that, since I was seven years old, I've had a deer tag, and I'm 86 now. Mm-hmm. I got one this year, so I've had a tag every year since then, but one year I think a deer tag. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. From the time you're six, back basically. then a bear was a predator. You didn't have to have a tag to shoot a bear. Uh, oh really? Now then you have to have a bear tag. Mm. I didn't know that. I thought they were always tagged. And back when I was young, you bought deer hunting license and tag, and the tag was two deer, and you got it anywhere in California with that deer tag. Wow. I've hunted in Alturas. I've hunted up in a likely area going on 395 out of Reno, over in the Blue Lake area. I've hunted all in there. I've hunted all over these mountains here, D7, mm-hmm. D6 now. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that all D7 before? There was no such thing as D's or no no zones when I was a kid. It was just, just California. Wherever. You just hunt. California tag. When did that t- change? In the seventies. What made him wonder? What made him do that? Money. <laughs> it always, somehow it always comes back to that, yeah. don't it? <laughs> bear well, tags that used to shoot bear didn't cost you anything because there was no such thing as a tag on a bear. Now bear tags forty dollars. Do you think that's ruined? Do you think that's ruined the hunting making zones like that? I mean, in, in some ways, it has it has to a guy like me because I'm limited to where I can go. Yeah. Uh, to some guys that grew up in that, it maybe enhances it to them because they've they've only only so many people can be in that area. Yeah. And I guess there's way more hunters today than was. I don't know what the population of hunters are. I can you can look it up. I just don't even know what it is. But I was just wondering because I know I know everything that's done. It involves money, and every single year, every single year everything goes up. The when I, when goes I was up a kid, I bought a hunting license for three dollars. I bought a deer tag for two. I there was no such thing as upland game bird stamp. Now there's always a duck stamp if you want to hunt ducks. But but I just the stamp, probably not a state stamp though. There, now there's a state and a federal. Yeah, I think the federal is first for the state. I believe. Yeah. But the hunting license, see, hunting license, $3, deer tag, two, $5, I could hunt anywhere in California for deer. Hmm. Now then it costs you, what did I pay, 40 some dollars for a hunting license, 30 some dollars for my first deer tag, something like that. Anyhow, it, if you get the bear tag, two deer tags, and a hunting license, it's pretty expensive little. Yeah. 
game to play. Yeah, it is. And that's just just for here. But, I mean, I guess it was like, it's probably always been like that. You buy in each state. But, yeah, every little thing you do now, they're actually trying to outlaw bobcat hunting, period, now. I know it. They will. Yeah, it will. It's going to pass. The I mountain know, lion, see, a mountain lion's a predator. When I was a kid, <clears throat> a man that got a mountain lion, there's something did it for that. It was $65 for female, 50 for female bounty. They were a predator. Yeah. And then they took them off the predator's list and didn't put them on the game animal list, I don't think, for a year or two after that. Then they put them as a game animal. Then they made a tag for a lion uh, to get them. Then they totally outlawed lion hunting. They said there's only 600 lions in the state of California, which was right, totally inaccurate. Mm-hmm. And uh, then when they found out there was more than that, they came to the conclusion there's more than that, they just outlawed outlawed lion hunting altogether. And that's when the deer population took a, And then for some reason, the Yosemite Park, the National Park Service thought there was too many deer in the park, was overgrazing the park. They shot about 1,200 deer in the Wawona area. That didn't make a lick of sense. Uh-uh. They, but they did. That was back in the 70s. And then they took hunting off the lions. So the deer haven't had a chance to have a comeback. Yeah. Between the lion population and all of that kill off that year, uh, the deer's just never made to come back. This is, But it, back in the day, it probably used, must have been infested with deer. Oh, I could I could see a buck almost any day I hunted. Now you're lucky if you see a doe every day. You know? Exactly. Yeah, and, it, and that digressed quickly too because i remember 10 15 years ago you could always see does but you never see a buck now it's like you said you can't even see a doe hardly i've found deer that lions have killed <clears throat> evident through lion kills and i took pictures of it and sent it to the fish and game department in fact one buck pretty good sized buck five or six point buck <clears throat> my brother-in-law was hunting bear with dogs and the dogs got down there and he could tell they quit barking he's he, set them on a line track and they quit barking. We went down there. He heard them doing something, went down there and he was eating on that deer. It was practically all gone, but it's chewing on it. And that lion had buried that deer up under a log and pulled leaves on it. And so I went down, got it and I drug it up to the road and threw it in my pickup, took pictures of it and sent it to the fish and game department. They sent me a thank you letter, but didn't say too much. Uh What it was, they were protecting the lions at that time. And uh, the lions was more important than the deer population, I think, to them. Protecting the lion was more important than protecting the deer population. So they didn't say much. They just sent me an acknowledgement letter. They got my picture. But I don't know what it meant to them. Yeah. Or they that or they just thought, what are we going to do? Because, yeah. you know, it goes up higher than us, probably. I just wonder who that is that really makes the final decisions. Is, is it the... Um does it go above the fishing game, like more to the science, or not the scientists, but... California legislature, I think, makes the final decision. So, yeah, like they don't, and they probably don't have a clue. I understand there was a professor from university up there that was the one who wrote the article about only 600 lions left in California, and they took that for granted Yeah, and made a protection on them. And before the protection went off, that they weren't that endangered, they totally protected them. From any hunting whatsoever. That upset but a lot of people. J.C. Bruce wrote the book, uh, Cougar Killer. He was a state lion hunter. I don't know how many years. He was raised up in Yosemite Park in the Wawona area. He had a, his folks had a homestead there. And he kills, he's either 769 or 679 lion. And he's got a book wrote. You Google it up probably, Cougar Killer. 
And he told story after story about finding deer kills that lions had made. Well, he got to hunting, and he got to hunting for the state. The state hired him. And he went all over California removing excess lions where the deer and lion could both live comfortably together. Or when they took that away, then the lion population, being fully protected, really, which live on the deer population, they outgrew the deer population to the extent that deer populations went downhill. Mm. And it can't get back up because there's too much against it. Yeah. See, I've had a deer tag all those years. I've seen deer killed. My son was born in 1959. Last year I killed, he was 15. I've watched my grandkids shoot deer. I've watched my kids shoot deer that I could have shot and didn't because I'd rather see my kids and grandkids shoot mm-hmm. them with myself. Mm-hmm. I shot my share. And so, uh, but I haven't killed the deer since David was 15 years old. Wow. In California. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> wow. And that's not because you, is that because you just haven't seen the deer or no. you just were letting? I was letting my kids. Yeah. I, was, I was usually always with a grandkid. Yeah. One of my daughters. My daughters have all shot deer. My son has shot them. I was with every one of them when they shot deer. And even some of my grandkids, I watched some of my grandkids shoot deer. Mm-hmm. It was always more fun to me to see a kid do something. It wasn't me a guy that shot so many. Right. I, I almost saw grandkids quarrel over who's going to get to shoot the deer. <laughs> I bet. And that thing steps out and it's a nice buck. Hey. In fact, Sarah and Jonathan and Stephen were all down the down on Iron Creek country. And there was a deer that coming. And Sarah wanted to shoot it. She was the girl. Yeah. And she's a pretty good shot. And the boys kept saying, if you don't shoot it, we will. She, and she says, let me shoot it. And pretty soon, bang, and she shot it and got it. <laughs> but if she had to, the boys would have shot that deer. They're making her nervous by saying, if you miss, we're shooting yeah, it. <laughs> that's what they're saying. That's awesome. Well, we better go. I know you got some things you got to do, and it's 11.50 right now. So we, like you said, if you can get back a and we can do this again a couple more in Thomas, and yeah. maybe Travis will be, be glad here. Too. Yeah, or and that even maybe uh, little Barney was talking about coming over with with us too. So, anyways, thanks for coming on. Thank Appreciate you. It's it. been a pleasure. Let me sign off by saying this: It's been a pleasure the last few years to go to Alaska hunting and have my grandsons as my guides. That's been that's cool. That's a privilege. Another privilege I've had. Very few people have. That is cool. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Let us know. In the reviews, write it down. If you want to hear some more from Johnny Hilton, I, I know we're going to have him on some more. hope you guys enjoyed it and hear the old ways. And if you got any questions, put it down in there. Leave us five stars and uh, let us know what you thought. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. <laughs>